0: Well amen, and good morning once more, as our musicians uh, make their way off the platform, join me in turning to the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter thirteen, verses one through three. I really wanted to preach one through six because they all all these verses hang together, and you'll see in verse six that that the only way we do any of these things is is in the the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse six says, "The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid so so these things are connected in that way, that we need God uh, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to help us to do these things. And, and all of these things that we're going to read about, beginning in verses 1 through 3, require selflessness. They require the sacrificial love of Jesus in order for them to take place. So that's what connects these various topics. And so here we are in the last chapter, right? We've, we've done 12 chapters of great theology, and in chapter 13, like many New Testament epistles, it, it's, it's a lot of pragmatics. It's a long list of, so do this, do this, do this, do this, and I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times I really get into the juicy theology and then the pragmatics. I'm like, okay, check, 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 got it. You know, you're supposed to love everybody. Wonderful. But the reality is, verse, excuse me, chapter 13 is is the so what of the book. Because Jesus is a better Savior, because there's nothing else in the world can save, because I've told you for 12 chapters not to fall away from Jesus, well, what does that mean? It means now to live in this way. So 12 chapters, don't fall away, don't fall away, don't fall away, don't fall away, okay? Well, that's the, sort of the negative. Well, chapter 13 is the positive. Here's how not to fall away. Live in this way. And you remember chapter 12, verse 28, told us, that we should be grateful for what we've received from God through Christ. And, and then out of that gratitude, we offer to God an acceptable service or an acceptable worship. And that's kind of abstract, right? Alright, just worship God. Well, what does that mean? Well, chapter 13 shows us what it means to live a life that is well-pleasing to God. So today we'll cover verses 1-3 through 3 of chapter 13. Hear with me the Word of God. Let love of the brethren, continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Would you pray with me, God? In the moments to come, help these verses to sink down deep into our hearts. God, help us by by the Power and presence of your Holy Spirit to evaluate ourselves in light of these verses. God, we pray that you would sanctify us in the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word today. God, that you would make us more like Jesus as a result of being here and less like our sinful selves. God, we we long to be those people who have a genuine gratitude that is motivating us to love and good deeds and to worship that is befitting the name of Christ our King. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you three things this morning from these three verses. To live a life that is well-pleasing to God. To live a life that is well-pleasing to God, first, we must let brotherly love continue. We must let brotherly love continue. In verse 1, the command is three words in the Greek language. The, brotherly love, one word, continue. And it's an imperative. It's just three words. The the word for brotherly love is the word Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Three words. The brotherly love must remain or abide or continue. It has to be present among God's people. For the people of God, to glorify the God who's made them a family, there must be brotherly and, of course, sisterly love present. Now you remember, Hebrews is written to a church that's that's facing persecution. And what the the pastor who's writing this text is saying is, look, I understand that brotherly love is present. You are loving one another and that's great. But when pressure comes from the outside, when when people begin to threaten your way of life, your property, what happens is under stress, our sinful flesh can go into self-preservation mode. Our sinful... Selves can go into me-first mode. Please pay attention to me mode. It's what I want. It's what I need. Look at me. And if I'm not getting what I need, then suddenly I'm so focused on myself that I'm ignoring my brothers and sisters. And so he says to us in verse 1, if you want to glorify God who gave His life to bring you into the family of God, you must let brotherly love continue. The miracle of the gospel includes that sibling love, brotherly and sisterly love, is possible between people who are not siblings. I mean, that's a miracle, right? People who are very different from you, God puts into the same family through the blood of Jesus and makes you brothers and sisters. You know, the the love between a brother and a sister in a a healthy, well-functioning family is a powerful thing. I've got one sister, and I was not a very good older brother to that sister, at least when she was younger. But I tell you, as, as life has gone on and we've experienced life and had children and gone to the same greatest university that exists on planet Earth, um, we, we've, we've grown to have a lot in common. And, and my sister, if she ever had a need, if she was ever in danger, if she was ever in trouble, even trouble, get this, that she created for herself, I would be there in a moment and give her whatever she needed that I could supply because she is my sister. Nothing can ever change the fact that if you map out her DNA and my DNA that we are connected in a way that no one else on this planet is connected to me. She's my sister. And there's nothing that she could do that could make me not love her. And so it must be in the church and even more so. Only the Holy Spirit of God can produce within us the sort of love that exists in a healthy, functioning family. And and get this, it's it's not just a biological love, it's deeper than that, it's greater than that, it's a supernatural love because it is secured not by our human DNA, but by our spiritual DNA, by the transformation of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit who takes us who are strangers and sinners and aliens to the kingdom of God and to the family of God, and He applies what Jesus did on the cross and washes away our sins and he cleanses us and he makes us new creatures in Christ literally children of God John says but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God don't miss that the church is the family of God created by the love of God and so we must love one another how do we love one another? We love as Christ loved us, selflessly, sacrificially, willing to give ourselves for the good of our brothers and sisters. When we are adopted into God's family, people with whom we have little in common become people that we love. People not not because of our, our similarities, right? Not because they're hokey fans not because they're Wahoo fans or Clemson fans, not because we have the same skin color, not because we grew up on the same side of town or went to the same high school, not because we have the same musical preferences, not because we have the same level of education or income or intellect. We are a family because we've been covered by one thing, the same precious unifying blood of Jesus. The church of God is therefore to be characterized by a great unity among a great diversity. We should be very different people because we came from very different places and very different parents and very different circumstances, and that's okay. What makes us one is not our background. What makes us one is the blood of Jesus shed at Calvary's cross. In Jesus Because of His once-for-all sacrifice for all people from all tribes and all tongues and all languages and all experiences and all backgrounds, if we trust in this one Savior, we are made one. Brotherly love is anchored in truth, not in feeling. Brotherly love is not sentimentality. It is rooted in the truth of Scripture. You say, well, I I didn't feel like loving that person. I don't care. If you love Jesus and they love Jesus, you've been commanded to let brotherly and sisterly love remain. It's not about your feelings. Well, I didn't, feel, I didn't like how he looked at me this morning. Maybe he hadn't had his first cup of coffee. We, we are such a feelings-based society that we can let one little thing make us angry and s- send us into an emotional tailspin, and quite frankly, it's immature. Immature. The church of Christ in America is characterized by a radical level of immaturity and it's frustrating to me. And I'm over it. The command of verse 1 is brotherly love must remain. It's not driven by how you feel. It's driven by the fact that Jesus died for you. And your reasonable act of worship is to dig in and fight for love. No matter if you like the last song we sang or not, no matter who looked at you wrong when you walked in, if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus and they've been covered by the blood of Jesus, then we fight for love. Pastor Hobe doesn't always feel like loving me after I hand it to him on the ping pong table. He's not feeling the love. And a lot of times I can see it in his face and I say, do you still love me? And he says, only because I have to. (laughs) And you know what? Sometimes that's enough. Because when we remind that what we're reminded of what Jesus did for us, the fact of what Jesus did for us is enough. And if we'll fight for love from the fact of the gospel, suddenly the feelings will come again. The feelings flow from fact. But if you run away at the first. Sign of, I don't feel good about this, we let things fall apart. Brotherly love must continue. It must remain. It takes the hard work of reaching out and praying and pulling aside and discipling and often holding our tongues, putting the interests of other people ahead of our own. God in His grace puts sinners in progress toward heaven into the same family to pursue Him which means when we sin against one another it's a great opportunity to experience God's healing and his forgiveness. James 5:16 says this, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another, why? so that you may be healed. Who here this morning needs to be healed? You can't do it in your own strength, in your own power. Who here this morning has a fractured relationship, has, has something that's nagging at you and that's bothering you? Who needs to go and confess their sin to someone? Who needs to be willing to put it behind them and to say, I give them forgiveness in Jesus' name because I've been, been forgiven so much more by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to stop living based on my feelings and I'm going to live based on the fact that Jesus gave His blood for me. Brotherly love comes from a heart that is satisfied not by how we feel in the moment, but by Christ who gave His life for me. Because of the truth of what God has done in us and for us, we can give ourselves to the work of loving our brothers and sisters. Peter says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You love from the heart because of the truth of the gospel. We can love in many practical ways, right? Because of Jesus, we can confess our sins to one another. Because of Jesus, we can forgive one another. Because of Jesus, we can sing a variety of musical styles and we can sing new songs together. Because, by the way, not only is that just being deferential to one another, but it's also commanded in Scripture, Colossians 3.17. Because of Jesus, we can be flexible and agreeable in just about anything that does not require us to compromise God's Word or His design for life and His church. Brotherly and sisterly love is an act of worship to the God who makes us His children. You know how a father is honored? You know how a mother is honored? When their children get along. When their children love one another. My father was here last night, and when I preached that point about how much I would move heaven and earth to go take care of my sister if she had a need, you should have seen the look on my dad's face. Brought him great joy. How much more is our heavenly Father honored when the children that he's adopted through the blood of his Son love one another? Sibling love is a witness to the watching world. Jesus said, in John thirteen thirty five, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we live in a country and a world that needs to see this radical love like never before. All around us on the news and everywhere, the world is burning, it's falling apart, it's fracturing. Will the church of God rise up and be the place that the world sees a love that they so desperately need to encounter through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. How must we love one another? Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't cling to His preferences? Philippians 2 tells us even though Jesus is God, He didn't cling to His preferences, but He emptied Himself of all but love to take on our humanity so that He could live a life that we should have lived and didn't and die the death that we deserve to die so we don't have to and be raised on the third day to give us a whole new way of seeing ourselves and seeing one another so that we can love. Love. We've been made brothers and sisters at the high cost of Jesus' life, He emptied Himself for us so that we would empty ourselves for one another. Philippians 2.3 says, Do not do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. When we, like Jesus, lay our lives down, when we lay down our me-first mentality to bless our brothers and sisters, then we grow in, God's, in our understanding of God's love for us. And people are pointed to Jesus. Brotherly love must continue. Secondly, verse 2, we learn that we must, if we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, we must not neglect to show love to strangers. In verses 2 and 3, we, we get two examples of this far-reaching nature of brotherly love. It's not just people we already know, verse 2 tells us, but it includes brothers and sisters who are, are far from us and, and now new to us. When we entertain brothers and sisters who, who have been strangers to us, the writer of Hebrews says, look, you might even be entertaining angels. He's got in mind the story back in Genesis 18 and 19, of Lot and Abraham when they are visited by people from heaven which turn out to be angels. And what do they do? They show them hospitality, they prepare them a meal, they show them kindness, and then up oh, turns out they were actually hosting angels from heaven. And you say, well, is that my motivation? Do I, am I kind to strangers because they might be angels? That's, that's not quite the point that Hebrews is making. The, the point that Hebrews is making is whether God sends you angels or believing strangers, God is in it. And you honor God by going the extra mile for those you don't yet know to show them the love of God. Either way, whether it's angels or strangers, we must not neglect to show hospitality. It's another command. Verse 1, we are commanded to love and let it remain. Verse 2, you must show hospitality. Hospitality. Did you know that hospitality is not the job of a committee? And did you know that greeting is not the job of just people with a badge on? If you are a child of God, you're a greeter. If you are a child of God, you are on the hospitality committee. Hospitality often begins inside the church, but real hospitality then extends outside of the church walls. Hospitality is a Christian virtue that was very important in church life. Only widows who had demonstrated hospitality, were to be given support by the church. 1 Timothy 5.10 It is required of elders in the church that they be hospitable. Peter tells us all believers are to be hospitable to one another and without complaint. Hospitality is showing genuine concern for others by meeting practical needs. And the most hospitable person there's ever been is it not Jesus? Is hospitality not wrapped up in the gospel? When we were hungry for something better than just normal bread, Jesus came and offered himself as the bread of life. When we were weary of our striving, of trying to work hard enough to earn our way into heaven, and we found that we could never be good enough, we could never be pure enough, we could never be righteous enough, that just one sense sin against an infinitely holy God would separate us from knowing His love forever. Jesus came and took our sin on Himself, and He bore it to Calvary so that we could have access to the love of God. That is hospitality. He took us in our striving and said, Here is my rest. He took us in our longing for something to fill our souls, and He said, I give you Myself as bread. Oh, I'm so thirsty for something that's better than what this world affords. And He says, you can keep drinking water out of that tap all day long, but I give you Myself as living water. There's nobody who shows hospitality like Jesus does. But the church should be the place that models the life of Jesus and showing that kind of hospitality to strangers and in particular what Hebrews has in mind are, are strangers coming into the fellowship of God. You see, in the ancient world, re- receiving strangers was not uncommon. It was, it was happening all the time. People were traveling by, by foot, and they were traveling on animals from city to city, and a, a stranger who knew Jesus would come in, and in this context of persecution, who's going to take care of them? Who's going to provide for them? And the church would hop to it. Notice this command not to neglect hospitality isn't given to us just individually. It's given to the whole church. The whole church be a place that shows hospitality. They would take people into their homes. They would feed them. They would clothe them. They would do whatever was necessary to provide for and meet their needs. And you say, well, that's not the world we live in. And for the most part, you would be accurate. But do we not have an opportunity to show hospitality week in and week out? Has God not been sending us guests? And we're so thankful if you're a guest this morning. Thank you for being with us. God has been sending people to our fellowship. Let me ask you, when strangers walk in, who's going to invite them over or out to lunch? Who's going to be the first to be hospitable? Not just friendly, but hospitable. Who will be Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus to the new people that God has been sending to our fellowship? Who's going to learn what they need and be Christ's church in their life? For our small group leaders and our teachers, I want to encourage you to lead your class to be a verse 2 kind of class or small group. You are not there just for you. You are there for the next person who walks in that you do not know. You are there to show them the love of Jesus. And our small groups at North Roanoke, my prayer is that we would be driven, so driven to reach others that God would keep sending us people because He knows that this stranger who needs a church home, they need to go there because they're going to find hope and they're going to find healing and they're going to find hospitality at that place when they walk in the door. That's the kind of church we want to be for the glory of Christ. Did you know the churches that are growing and making a kingdom difference in America, most of them don't have amazing pastors? I'm sorry, it's true. And you should be thankful for that. Because if this church and her impact was dependent on this one person, you would be in really big trouble. The churches that are growing, yes, there's exceptions the ones that got the 10,000 people on their podcast, the people who have amazing communicators and they've written all kinds of books, but for the most part, the churches that are making the kingdom difference in our country are the ones who are filled up with people who have such a brotherly love for one another and such an openness to the next person that God sends that they come in and they're like, Jesus is in that place. They asked me what I needed They got to know me. They took me to lunch and they served me in Jesus' name. And by His grace and with His help, so it must be with North Roanoke as well. This morning, before you leave, look around. Be intentionally hospitable to someone who is a stranger to you. This is your reasonable act of worship. To the King who came and brought you a sinful stranger into the family of God. Thirdly, we must remember our siblings who suffer for their faithfulness to Jesus. We are commanded in verse 3 to remember the the prisoners and those who are ill-treated, those who who are persecuted for their faith. The word remember does not mean to just think about something. Biblically, the word remember means to know and to recognize something mentally and then to participate or act in a way to bring aid and help. We must remember them as though, do you see it in verse 3? Like you are right there with them, as though you are in the prison cell with them. And then as you remember them in that way, you pray and you visit and you serve and you give accordingly. Now Hebrews is speaking specifically of Christians who are suffering for the sake of the gospel. They are in prison or facing persecution because they love Jesus. Did you know we are following a king that the world is actively rejecting? We are following a king that the world says we don't want, but Jesus is going to get the last word. Psalm 2 says the peoples are devising a vain thing. Because we serve the king of the unshakable kingdom, we don't let the social shaming or the persecution that comes with standing with other believers stop us from loving them well. When a brother or sister is persecuted for the sake of the gospel, we identify with them like we're right there in their midst. Part of the same family. Verse 1, right? Brotherly and sisterly love. And now look what it says at the end of verse 3. We are also in the same body. I know some of you have come from families that are broken apart. Brothers and sisters that don't talk to one another. You say, this brotherly and sisterly love doesn't resonate with me because I, there's no, none of that in my family. Well, you don't evaluate God's love for you by your natural family. You evaluate it by the cross of Christ. And there is one family that will never falter and that will never fall apart and it's the family of God. And the reason it won't is because we aren't just a family, we are one body. Jesus makes us new and he makes us one and he puts us together as the family of God under Christ the head. So while some natural families fly apart, the body never flies apart. And for that reason, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six, if one member suffers, if just one person in the family suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together when God saves you. He brings you into His family and He incorporates you into His body. It's a transformation that's so radical, so life-giving, so glorious, that it leads us to gladly share in the pains and joys of our brothers and sisters on our journey to the heavenly city. You know, in our country, we've seen glimpses of what it can mean to suffer for the sake of Jesus. People shouted down in the streets for their faith in Jesus, for singing hymns as recently as this last week. Christian business owners fined for running their business consistent with their convictions. Christian professionals fired for sharing the gospel. Christians not hired because of their faith in Jesus. We've we've also seen in this period of coronavirus, some churches being treated differently than other businesses that have gatherings of similar sizes. And, And these things, while they are difficult and while they are real, they are still very little compared to what Christians around the world have faced down through the centuries and what they are facing today. In the Sudan, a law was just overturned that's been on the books for 30 years. You know what that law was in the Sudan? If you convert to Christianity, you will face the death penalty. In Iran, the church right now in Iran is exploding. And leaders as fast as they are being trained, are being imprisoned and tortured. In China, the communist government right now is actively trying to remove Christianity from the country in its entirety. Across the Middle East, people are forsaken by their family. They are disowned by their family if they repent of their sin and believe the gospel. And what do we do Hebrews 13:3 says we remember them like we are there with them you say well Daniel we're not no we're not but we can pray boldly that God would use them that he would strengthen them that they would remember God's word and that they would be faithful And that God would hear the prayers of his martyrs until the time of the martyrs is up. And that Christ would come in vindication of their sacrifice. We stand with them by sending missionaries. Training and sending and praying that God would raise up missionaries from our church. Who would go and if it would cost them their life to stand for the one who gave his life for them, that they would be bold to do it. But the last way we stand with them is far more simple, but I suspect it is also the most neglected. The way we should be standing with our brothers and sisters in the gospel is by using the freedom that we presently have to share the gospel. I suspect that in a a day that's coming likely in my lifetime in this country, that there's going to be a time that we will wish we had made better use of the freedom and the opportunity that we presently have to share the gospel. And we can talk about our brothers and sisters in harm's way, and we can pray for them, and we can send them support, and we can send them missionaries. But you know what they would wish that you were doing? You know what they would wish that I was doing? That I was spending my God-given freedom in a great country right now for the sake of pouring my life out that lost people would hear the message of the gospel before it's too late. Isn't it amazing what God has done through His Son? He's made us a family. He's given us brothers and sisters to love You say, well, I'm I'm an only child. You can have hundreds and thousands of brothers and sisters. You say, "My, my family is a train wreck. You can have hundreds of brothers and sisters who will genuinely love you and welcome you and show you a hospitality like you've never known. Those who are truly saved will endure in the faith with such a deep gratitude for what they've found in Jesus that they will offer their lives in worship to God. How? By loving the brothers and sisters of the church with the same sort of selfless love that we've been given by our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you as we close, two questions. First, are you a part of the family of God? Do you know what it's like To have a family that you can run to that will embrace you and love you no matter where you've been. No matter what you've faced. With a love that is from above. That is from God our Heavenly Father. If you don't know that love, I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing our last song. To just walk down this aisle or that aisle or that aisle. And walking down the aisle doesn't change you. Doesn't do anything. But I want you to walk down this aisle so we can have a conversation about how you can turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and never fear again that you don't have the love of God in your life. And secondly, if you're a part of the family of God, I want to ask you this. How's your love? Is there someone you've sinned against that you need to repent? Is there someone who's sinned against you and you just need to drop it, forgive, and move on? So I want to pray as we close for three categories of people. For those in this room who would say, I have not loved well, I have not forgiven well, I have not moved on well or confessed well, would you pray for me? I want to pray for you this morning. Secondly, there's some in this room who are still strangers to North Roanoke Baptist Church. You say, I I don't know you people. I know I'm supposed to love you people because I love Jesus, but y'all are weird. We are. We're weird. But we want to be weird with you. We want to know you and we want to love you and we want to serve you and we want to show you hospitality like you've never known before. And we, we beg that you would, you would sense that here, that you would get a friend in the gospel here and the, that the, the Spirit of God would open your heart to us loving you. I want to pray for you this morning. And finally, I want to pray for those who are facing ill treatment for their faith in christ maybe maybe in your workplace it's taboo to be a christian it's hard to be a christian everybody's making fun of your christianity and it's, it's getting lonely i want to pray for you this morning maybe in your family when you you got thanksgiving coming and i know corona's around but maybe you're planning to get together and you're dreading that next family gathering because you're the one weirdo who loves jesus in your family And you know everybody's going to make fun of you again. Everybody's going to poke jokes at you again. And I want to pray that you would be bold, that you would be courageous, and that they would see in your life the love of God. And they would come to repentance and saving faith in Christ. So this morning I want to pray for those three categories of people. I'll invite our instrumentalists to come. And and I want to do something daring this morning. If you're in one of those three categories of people... If you want to come and just stand here and pray or kneel here and pray, I want to welcome you to do that. And I know in a congregation this size, there's, there's somebody who's got some unforgiveness or some bitterness or some hurt in your life that you just need to leave at the altar. I, I know that there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, and, and today is the day of salvation. And I know for some that it's hard to be a Christian where you are, and you'd like the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. So as we stand to sing, if that's one of those categories for you and you feel so led to come and pray, as I pray over you, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together. God in heaven, I thank you for the miracle of the family of God. I thank you as, as we'll learn in verse 6 that you are our helper God, that you do not abandon us. God, I pray in Jesus' name this morning for the brother or the sister who's tired of living for Jesus in their workplace or in their family, God, that you would strengthen them. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are suffering in unimaginable ways to magnify Jesus. God, I pray for the the strangers in our midst, that they would not remain strangers, but God, they would feel so loved by this fellowship. God, for those listening online who are contemplating coming, God, that they would know that in this place, they're going to find a family that's going to show them the love of God. Lord, that we would wash their feet. God, that we would meet their needs, because Jesus has so met our needs. And God, for those who don't yet know this sort of love, God, today that they would fall at the feet of Jesus, they would turn from their sin, and that they would be redeemed and rescued and saved and know a love of God like no other. God, move in this place for the glory of your Son. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.